Hi, my name is Isabella, and today's tip of the week is about company culture and quality of work. When the culture isn't as strong, the alignment to company values isn't very clear. This means that the more that more effort needs to be placed in controlling employees, monitoring their behavior, and keeping them working as efficiently as possible. The advantages of having company culture are obvious. It means that there's less monitoring required by managers and team leaders, and that the work of the employees is of a higher value to the company. For instance, you won't have to use tracking or monitoring devices. You just need a clear set of objectives and goals. This means that company culture helps improve organizational performance. So I'm so excited to have you on my show today. Today's guest for our listeners is Adrian Adriana Garland, and she is the owner and founder of She Leads Media. So welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Isabella. I'm very excited to be here today. I am too. And I don't know, we should probably count, you know, figure out like how we actually met. It was, I don't know. I didn't even ask that as the question, but we'll save that one for maybe later on. Um, so I always start my guests off with, tell us five words that describe you and why those five words. And I wrote them down too, so I can prompt you. Okay. So five words that describe me in no particular order, although I, I do like this first one to be first. And I think anybody that knows me would agree with my number one. Uh, that is fun. Mm -hmm. uh, I agree. Right? You, you can't do anything unless you're having a lot of fun. Uh, the second is creative. I at least like to consider myself to be creative. Well, yeah, uh, third, run a media company. So yeah, I guess I need to be creative. Uh, third is curious. Mm -hmm. Fourth is thoughtful. Mm -hmm. And fifth is two words, uh, lifelong learner. Yeah. Yeah, we'll hyphenate that lifelong. So it, that's how it counts as two words for our listeners. So the reason why I think um, that all of those are apropos for you is I've been going through a course that you've been running on how to write a book. And I am so thrilled to be in the course, honestly. I believe I've missed three, but I am keeping up. So I just want you to know that. Good. <laughs> I found the course that you're designing, and I know we're jumping ahead a little bit to be very, very engaging. So I'm going to put a little pin in it so we can talk about it as part of your life journey. Okay. So I think all of those words would describe you because here you are, you've started something new on top of all of the other amazing things that you do. Yeah. Yes. So would you like me to uh, jump into my journey a little bit? Yeah, I do. How, where does it start? Is it going to be 13 high school, college, where? Or something? Uh, yeah, no, I, I think that um, starting in college would be a really great place to begin. Although I think like so many of us, our personalities were formed and we sort of started to see some uh, inequalities and, and things like that uh, as far back as middle school, right? Mm -hmm. um, but I have to say that both my middle school and my high school years were absolutely wonderful. I did not have uh, bad experiences. I thoroughly enjoyed, um, especially high school. Uh, and I was very excited to move on and to, to get into college. And I was always sort of this uh, driven type of person, yet 
I realized that having a group of friends around me um, allowed me to really maintain the balance. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's interesting when I even think about that, when I just said that, uh, my my sign uh, is, is Libra and it's the scales. Are you Libra as well? I am also. What's your birthday? October 11th. October 8th. Oh my gosh. Nice. We have to celebrate some kind of birthday beverage together. I would love that. <laughs> okay, we'll do it remotely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's I'm, I'm into it. So it's, uh, I, I, I think that whether it's placebo effect and knowing that I'm Libra and thinking about the scales and balance, um, that's something that I always sort of have in my mind. So as driven as I am and always have been, um, I balance that out, I guess, with a lot of fun uh, and a lot of friends. Um, they, they really keep me grounded. Um, so when I graduated from college, um, I, I'm, I am going to take you one very quick step back into high school. I happened to be a very strong math student mm -hmm. in high school and, uh, did very well on the New York state regents exams, perfect scores, things like that. Oh. I'm always very proud of that. And my whole family rolls their eyes at me because it's my claim to fame. Um, but uh, when I went to college, I uh, really wanted to embrace that aspect of, of me, the logical side. So I majored in economics and I minored because you have to balance it out in English. Okay. I was so, an English major. No way. Okay. Yes. So, much in <laughs> so uh, you know, when I graduated, it was in the nineties and every, every uh, sort of time that I embarked upon getting out there into the world, getting a job, there was always some sort of depression or recession or something going on. So when I graduated from college, there was a, a recession in place. Um, and I took a, a job at this company that is no longer in existence, but it was called Value Line. And Value Line was a New York City company, and they produced literal books of stock prices. And so I, I, along with a team of uh, young people and some older people, uh, we were, we entered the data of all of the different stock prices, right? So at the end of every month, what, whatever the, however the stock price ended, we, uh, we inputted that into this big database. And so that was sort of my foray into the world of finance. And I grew my career in that world in the 90s <laughs> um, and didn't end up having the, the best experience. One of the last companies that I worked at in the finance world um, ended up being fined for some uh, things that they were doing that were not uh, legal. So uh, I got out of uh, finance and at that time I was actually pursuing my MBA at NYU Stern School of Business um, in finance. And I was so disgusted with everybody um, and the world of finance and, and sort of everything that was going on there that I decided to completely switch my focus. And, uh, and so I, I changed my major uh, to marketing with a concentration in media, entertainment, and technology, because I was so interested in, in that. And I, uh, 
was able to use all of the the skills and experience that I developed from being in the world of finance and apply that to marketing. And that was something that was not done by design, but that I realized was a strength because at that time, marketing was a little bit more about advertising, right? The the ads in, in the magazines, the the television commercials, things like that. So I focused my attention more on the direct marketing aspect of things and how do you you know, send out communications. And at that time it was direct mail, it was voicemail messages, uh, email just, you know, came onto the scene. And um, I, I was very mathematically oriented. So sending out a certain number of emails, what is the response rate, all of that kind of stuff. And that was something that differentiated me from a lot of the other marketers that were just a little bit more on the creative side of things. And they didn't really think about how what they were putting out into the world translated into leads and sales. Um, So I I graduated from NYU Stern with my degree in marketing. um, And I started working at a cable company, Cablevision. It's now called Altice. Um, And I I worked there for many years in uh, product development, in uh, marketing and advertising. And uh, I I loved my time there. I made such incredible friends and contacts that I still have to this day, Uh, but I I wanted more. And so I, I moved on and I was lucky enough to kind of be um, I wouldn't say recruited, but but maybe in a way I would I would call it that um, by the chief operating officer at PR Newswire at the time, Dave oh, Arman. Wow. That's a hey, big Dave. <laughs> yeah, uh, he was a really creative guy. Is a really creative guy, and um, he had received a, a mail piece um, about the triple play, which was telephone, uh, in high speed internet, and. Um, uh, television, he received a, a mail piece to his home address. Uh, and he called Cablevision to find out sort of who was in charge of putting together this mail piece. And it turned out that it was me. Um, and so I started to have some conversations with him and he invited me into PR Newswire to see what what they were all about. Uh, PR Newswire, incredible company. Um, they, they just didn't necessarily realize that the internet would have such a, a, a negative impact on their business. Um, and so uh, Dave brought me in to run marketing, which I did. And I loved it. I, I loved my time there. Um, but the internet <laughs> uh, really impacted PR Newswire's business. They were acquired by another company. And I ended up leaving and going to uh, Coopers. And I felt very lucky to have gotten into PwC. And that was because of one of my dear childhood friends uh, worked there and he got me the interview. And it was not just one interview. It was 14 interviews, group interviews. It was it was the the really crazy process. But I ended up um, kind of rising through the ranks at PwC very quickly um, and I ended up uh, in this position called the geomarketing leader. And I had 20 people on my team, 20 women. Um, 
And we did everything from supporting the the uh, partners to putting on small and large scale events, uh, in addition to many other things. Um, but what I realized at PwC is that I was not a cultural fit. <laughs> um, you know me a little bit, Isabella. And when I walk into a place, I like to say hi. I like to make myself known. Um, I like to make everybody feel welcomed. And uh, PwC at that time uh, was did not have that culture. And so it it was crazy. <laughs> How many women worked there at that time too? Because like, what's the headcount for women? You know, it was a lot. Uh, PwC was definitely not a place that had uh, gender inequality. At the partner level, there were definitely not as many women as there were men, but there were certainly women who were partners. Um, okay. And at those, you know, the, the VP, the director, the senior manager level, it, it was pretty equal. That's good to hear because, you know, you really never know when we're talking about the 90s. I'm going, sitting there going, I don't know. I I was a teacher. I was being a public classroom teacher. So I couldn't even begin to like everybody, women dominated in education, but not at the high level of higher ed. No. You don't see them running the schools. So that's why I was going, huh, what would it be like? Because the finance industry is typically male. Yeah, when when I was in investment banking and equity research, there were definitely women there. It um but they were at the lower levels. They were the support staff. Uh and I never wanted to be the support staff. Mm-hmm. Um you know, I always I always held myself in a, a a higher um position than that whether you know, who knows why. I just knew that I was uh destined and wanted more. And I wasn't afraid at that time to ask for that or keep moving around until I got to where I wanted to be. I mean, I think that's why I, you know, ended up in this incredible position at PricewaterhouseCoopers. But that job was the um, best job on paper that I ever had and the absolute worst job that I ever had in my life. Mm. I've had a few of those and they were call them life-changing and eye-opening. Yeah. Agreed. We'll leave it there. (laughs) Save it for the later question, maybe, or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, certainly company cultures can change, you know, when there's new leadership that um, warrants it, but also if that's what the employees are demanding. Yes. And that's such a great, piece of knowledge. Um, my, my friend who brought me in still works at PwC, uh, you know, however many years later, 10, 12 years later. And I went there recently to have lunch with him and the, uh, office in, he does, he works mainly from home as does, as do many people at PwC. But before the pandemic, when I went to visit him for lunch, um, the office had completely transformed there were many more common spaces. There was much more interaction. It was a very, very different place than when I was there. Mm, that's so good to hear, right? Yeah. Yeah. So when did you decide to start your own business? How did that happen? Yeah. So uh, perhaps that was 
Well, it wasn't decided for me. I definitely made the my own decision to start my business, but um, I had a very negative experience at PwC um, that left me calling into question what um, you know who I who I who I was. You know what my uh, identity was. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was clear that I didn't fit in at PwC. I can look back now and and not blame myself for it. It was just, you know, looking at it objectively, it just wasn't a fit. I was a square peg and or I was the round uh, peg in their square hole. Um, and it just didn't fit. So I ended up leaving um, PwC. I made the decision in a millisecond to leave. And after I, I left, I decided that it was high time for me to put my money where my mouth was and to start my own business. I had always been very independent, um, sort of a rebellious type of thinking, always wanting things to um, you know, be more efficient, um, be improved in, in one way or another. And I thought, you know, I didn't have um, I didn't have anybody paving the way for me um, in on um, the corporate side. I, I sort of accomplished everything that I was able to. Yes, with you know help of friends and support and all of that kind of stuff, but um, not with this old boys network that was definitely in existence at the time. Um, so I thought if I could do this on my own. Uh, you know, in the corporate world, why can't I just do this for myself uh, as an entrepreneur? Why can't I launch my own business and be super successful? I'm an incredibly independent thinker. Um, And so I launched my business in 2010. um, And I really launched like so many uh, people do leaning into what my area of expertise was. And that was marketing. So my company uh, started by providing marketing consulting services to anybody that would take me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's initially how we start out with our clients, right? When yep. we're start, starting a bu- uh, business, I, I usually will tell people in unpaid internships to go, listen, there's always everybody has to pay their dues. So if you're starting a business, you're going to be doing a lot of things you're going to call it free, but it's a, you know, it's a marketing investment. You're going to cut your fees. You're going to do whatever you have to take so you can build up clients and be able to get something to put on that website. Yeah. Same in an internship. They yep. Something on the resume. So what kind of uh, industries did you work with? I'm just curious, were you all over the place or do you have a specialization now? Yeah. I mean, I was definitely all over the place and over the course of my business, I have really, changed focus and and learned a a lot about servicing different types of clients. So I started out working with very small clients. Um, I tapped into my network and said, Hey, I've started this business. Does anybody have any projects for me? Um, And then that allowed me to align with somebody that had their own uh, marketing agency. And so I sort of became a subcontractor and worked at much bigger businesses. So businesses like SiriusXM, yeah, Match.com. We did some like little promotional video thingies um, and also DirecTV. So I ended up uh, working 
for, it was supposed to be a little three month uh, assignment at DirecTV um, where I was running all of the digital marketing for their B2B division in New York City. Uh, and yeah, I ended up staying there for three years. Wow. Yeah. I tell you the companies, the brands that you work, have worked with, I mean, that's significant. It's really hard sometimes I think to get in there and the, the roles that you got to have sound like they were exciting, you know, yeah. challenging and it allowed you to work in different industries for sure. Yeah. Marketing is the consistent role, but industries as a whole, it just sounds really exciting. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of it is sort of in the technology realm, uh, even though, you know, match.com might be very different than Sirius XM. Um, but really the, the basis of it all is technology, right? It's, it's delivering content through a certain type of medium. Um, and then it's really figuring out, you know, who is the target audience for that particular service. Um, and so I really always worked with service or subscription based businesses. I, I feel like that is a, a real area of expertise for me, um, less so on the physical product side. Um, so with She Leads Media, you know, it, it's my mission to get women the visibility that I believe that they deserve. Um, and so when I kind of took a look at what, who my clients were, although they were amazing, um, you know, I, I looked and I said, how does working at direct TV, <laughs> digital B2B, how does that help a small woman owned business? Mm -hmm. um, and it didn't. So I decided to shift my attention toward women-owned businesses and really help them to um, understand what it was that they needed to do in order to align their marketing, get the sales leads and visibility that they needed. And so I started working with um, more women-owned businesses. And when you work with bigger clients like a DirecTV or a SiriusXM who have big budgets, uh, you sort of get used to a certain level of revenue. Um, but when you're working with women that are starting up businesses there, you know, you, we all know the stats, women don't get access to capital like men do women, uh, you know, it's very difficult to make it past the $1 million mark. Um, there's, there are so many things that are sort of stacked against women. And so being a service provider to somebody that might not have the funds in order to pay you at the level of your expertise. Um, becomes a bad business decision, which is completely unfortunate because I I love women-owned businesses and I only want to see them succeed. I've but I don't seen a think lot that of I can research out there that says that women-owned businesses are much better with managing money yes. than their male counterparts, and they have been able to demonstrate a much better growth plan than some of the men male-led companies. Yeah. And that's definitely on the, when, when, uh, money is invested in women-owned businesses, there's 
typically an even greater return on that money when investing in a woman-owned business versus a, a male-owned business. And it's because we are much more risk averse and we uh, understand the implications of our decisions. We can see, you know, 25 scenarios and, and think through all of them. So we're more measured when we take that step. Mm-hmm. And that's a great thing. It also holds us back. Men, and these are sweeping generalizations, men uh, might not look at the 25 different scenarios. Perhaps they look at one or two, they commit and they go. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with you. Yeah. I've seen it. I have two boys I, and my husband and my dog, and I see how they, they operate. <laughs> <laughs> Very different than me, a male dog. <laughs> oh my God, you're outnumbered. <laughs> I am. <laughs> Why did you choose that male dog? <laughs> He's cute. <laughs> okay. Well, you know, that's been significant, but what is it that you do with She Leads Media now? What is it specifically that you do with women? Sure. So one of the ways that I uh, felt that I could serve a larger number of women and, and sort of not work with them one on one because there there were a lot of budgetary constraints there was to uh, start a conference. So in 2013, my partner at the time and I created uh, what's now known as She Leads Live. Um, at that time, it was called Woman Con, the conference for women, um, and we brought together women experts and venture capitalists and anybody that we felt like we wanted to learn how can you start and grow a successful profitable business and it started as inviting you know a bunch of our friends I was able to turn to my network uh, PR newswire and some other companies and get some sponsorships and it was like a beautiful thing and this was in you know 2013 that we did our first conference um, people were blown away by the level of professionalism the incredible contacts that we had and the fact that we were actually able to make profit the first time that we did it so we continued to do it. Um, and it went really well for a number of years, although the conference was not bringing in enough money to support both my partner and I, uh, you know, as as careers. So we both did different things. And and our our conference was uh, it was uh, we, we used to say the money that we made from the conference made for a good Christmas. Like that's, you know, that's that's how we sort of looked at the conference. But we felt like it was such a a, a need for the community. So um, at, at gosh, in 2016, um, my partner decided to get a full time job and to uh, sort of turn over all of the assets of, of WomanCon to me. Um, and I just really appreciate that so much. She's such a beautiful, wonderful person. Um, and she said, just do me a favor and please change the name because when this is successful, I don't want to feel <laughs> guilty or like I missed out on something. So I rebranded uh, WomanCon to She Leads 
completely changed the name, actually got She Leads trademarked, which is incredible. Um, and that is one of the the uh, areas of uh, She Leads Media that is a, a really, I'm very proud of the the property and the conference. And it's, it's sort of what a lot of people know about She Leads. Um, the pandemic was not friendly to any conference. So I took it online. Um, didn't, I personally didn't love the online format for the conference. I just felt like something was lost. Um, and so I took a pause on it for last year, but am re, uh, resurrecting it this year. Uh, the other aspect of She Leads Media that's really important, um, and these things are platforms for for women, speakers, experts, in order to demonstrate their expertise and to network, learn, and grow together. Uh, the other uh, platform that She Leads Media has, there's two others. One is the She Leads Podcast Network, where we feature uh, women podcast hosts, um, and we help them uh, to elevate their show and to push it out into the, the media with marketing support behind it. And then the third aspect of She Leads Media, again, another platform, is our newly launched uh, She Leads Publishing division. And the, the course that you are uh, in right now is sort of the first foray into the publishing world. I wanted to publish my book, first, um, and then venture into helping other women to publish their stories and their books. That's really inspiring. So how'd you meet Kent? So I met Kent actually via LinkedIn many, many years ago. He reached out to me. Uh, he had a company at the time called Blooming Twig, which was a, pub a book publishing company. Um, and he and I just sort of hit it off uh, really beautifully. He is an incredibly intelligent, kind uh, person who truly believes in what it is that I'm doing with She Leads Media. And the proof is that he has sort of stuck with me um, and helped me to get the She Leads Podcast Network off the ground. Uh, him and his company do all of our backend editing, distribution, um, and he has really helped me to um, put a finer point on the She Leads Media brand. Um, so I, I often say that he's my strategic partner. Um, he's also helping me with the, the book publishing um, part of my business because he provides services that um, I think are very valuable, like ghostwriting um, and like the, the course you, you see our, uh, our rapport with one another. Um, so yeah, I met him years and years ago and it was probably around uh you know, 2015, 2016. Mm. I've had him as a guest on my podcast. I, I don't know if you knew that or not. No. But yeah. It was really funny. And he brought Randy on, you know, Oh, I know Randy. Yeah. And so, you know, it was, it, it was so hard. He, he was like, a, um, a very mischievous, mischievous, almost to the point of like naughty, type of a person to have on the show. Kent because, or Randy? Oh, Kent. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> he must have been yes. having fun. <laughs> he, he would sit there and put himself on, on mute and because 
I was, I would go back and forth between the two and ask questions. And he really, really wanted to nudge Randy a lot and make Randy do more talking. So he'd say, no, I'm not talking and put himself <laughs> on mute, <laughs> whatever. And so Randy would, you know, fill in, fill in the gaps, I guess more because he is a more quiet, more introverted type of a processor and communicator, I think. Kent? No, Randy. Oh, Randy. Yeah. 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 So yes. he's really, I think, helping him to open up, not get. <laughs> it's like he's not introverted at all. No, he's not. <laughs> no, but he was like really helping to push more of Randy to to speak. Anyway, it was a great show. I really liked it a lot. And then he awesome. had me on his podcast too. And it was like, it was awesome. Awesome. Yeah. So good. Yeah. I I sit here and I go, how did they found me, uh, they found me somehow. And so then I was invited to be on the show. That was how that happened. But Kent nice. sent the email. And then when I saw it and I went, Kent's in this, I want to be in it because Kent's in it because yeah. you know, it knows really cool people. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's been, it's been a, a ride. It's been a lot of fun and I've learned so much through this process. And one of the things I think for anybody who's an entrepreneur in your audience is that, you know, oftentimes we do this stuff on our own and maybe we bring on some interns to help us or, you know, a virtual assistant or something like that. Um, but I think that it's super important to somehow, whether it's a, an actual co-founder or partner or some type of a thought partner that you can run your ideas by and sort of talk through um, what you think the best strategy is to move your business forward. Also someone who pushes you to think much bigger than you're thinking right now. You know, I, I think many times we consider what's the next step and if you have that person that truly has your best interest in mind, you know, validate that that sounds like a good next step. However, if you were to think in a different way or from a bigger perspective, where could you get and couldn't you maybe get farther than if you're just thinking, what's the next step? What's the next step? Mm -hmm. What's the next floor is the question oh, or what, where's the next building? Yeah. 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 Jumping, you know? Yeah. And you have to be super brave to do those for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So I love the fact that you've got all of these different, they really are um, to me, separate companies, but parts of what your, your main corporate brand is. Mm. Yeah. It, it really is in so well, I'm women for sure. In so many ways in print and in, you know, podcasting, and then also just understanding marketing. I think yeah. women, I don't know what you think, but I think women generally understand the concept of marketing because it's built around relationship. Yeah. Agreed. And marketing should be about cultivating relationships and it shouldn't be all about hard selling and funneling and cajoling and convincing. Mm -hmm. uh, it really is more about the invitation um, and there were was a time for the past, I would say five, seven, eight years, um, that it was very much about, you know, capturing somebody, moving them through a funnel, having them, you know, do what you want them to do. And 
I do see a shift in marketing, in putting content out there and inviting people in instead of, uh, you know, shaming them mm-hmm. into buying your offer, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which I love, which I love. And I think that that is more, again, a generalization, more of a feminine approach. Mm-hmm. It is. Yeah. I, 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 because, you know, for a lot of reasons, right. Women are generally nurturing. They're the ones that are led to be more of a, a, a teacher, a facilitator, a coach in so many different ways. So, yeah, you know, those are all things that build around that relationship type dynamic. Mm-hmm. All right. So um, I'm keeping an eye over here. We're doing great. Favorite quote that you live by? I live by a quote from Winston Churchill that is never, ever, ever, ever give up. There's four. Forever, right? Forever. Yeah, never give up forever. So why that particular quote? Well, so many people I think can relate to obstacles, to, uh, you know, things that that are challenges, uh, missteps, failures, which I never really consider true failures. Um, But if you can keep going and not stop, mm-hmm. then there's hope, right? And so even in the face of potential hopelessness or not knowing what's next, if you don't give up, you're going to get through whatever it is that is challenging that's in front of you. Yeah. It's true. I have one. Um, I like to usually share this one too. It's Eleanor Roosevelt Mm. and it's no one can make you feel inferior without your permission. Yeah. That one. I, and that includes myself. I always have to remind myself that means me don't, don't, um, shame myself. Don't come down on myself. So I wouldn't do that to my friends. Why would I do that to myself? So yeah, we're, we're the hardest on ourselves. And I have to say that I love Eleanor Roosevelt so very much because she shares my birthday. (laughs) No wonder I like her. Yeah, (laughs) for sure. So oftentimes there's always something that's been very traumatic or dramatic or tragic that can happen in life. And those can be the things that define a person's character. They also help you gain a valuable lesson and it can make a person pivot. Is there anything in your life that's happened that kind of fits that bill? Yeah. I mean, I think um, we all have maybe that original trauma right? That, that molds and shapes us. And then there's some other things that are pivot points throughout our lives. Um, one of the things that I think, uh, helped me in, in, in a lot of ways, and I do not like to think about it like this, but, uh, when I was very young, my father died and, uh, he died very quickly. Um, he had a sore throat one day and went to the doctor because it wasn't going away after a couple of days. Um, And he was a 33-year-old man, um, found out that he had leukemia, and he died three months later. 
So, yeah. So I was six years old. Uh, my brother was seven. My mother, um, raised us. And I guess maybe the never, never, ever give up (laughs) comes from, uh, you know, her attitude too. I mean, um, you just can't, you can't fall apart, you know, not if you want to live your life. And I know that my dad wouldn't have wanted my mom nor my brother, nor I to stop our lives because his life stopped. Um, so I think that my character, um, was, was shaped at that point in time. And um, there's always a shadow side, right? So my constant striving, my drive, my come on, let's go forward. Not, let's never give up. You know, that isn't always the best in certain situations. There is a time to rest. There is a time to relax. And as I'm getting older, I understand that. Um, but I think that 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 event, uh, tragedy sparked my, uh, my, my nature or unlocked something in me. Um, it didn't have the same effect on my brother. However, we are polar opposites. Yeah. So, um, and you know, who knows why that is, um, both of us very sad and sad to this day. PS people grief never goes away. Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah. And so, um, you know, I, I think that that's where my strength comes from. And sometimes I feel like nobody can ever hurt me because I was hurt so badly when I was young. Mm. I hope that stays true for you too. Yeah. yeah. You know, we have those um, mechanisms that we can put up to help protect us um, so that people, you know, we don't. I don't know if it's so much that people can hurt us. Again, it kind of goes back to Eleanor Roosevelt. Nobody can make you feel inferior, but nobody can hurt you unless you allow it. Yeah. So um, I, I yeah. put a little line in the sand on that too. And I went, no, I set up either, you know, expectations that weren't realistic or um, yeah, because I don't think that they're really human. I feel like that, you know, they're on this pedestal. So yeah. Yeah. There's a lot. This yeah. It's going to be a good conversation another time. Let me <laughs> water or something. Okay. How about gratitude? I know that many times gratitude comes in many different forms. Sometimes it's even still a hardship, but what are you most grateful for? I mean, I'm so very grateful for this life that I lead. I have such a beautiful family my husband, I, I met him in college and he really is my best friend. I mean, he's super cool. And he, he, I mean, it's, it's incredible that he like likes me for who I am, you know, my, my weirdness, my intensity, my craziness, uh, you know, he, he's, he's all in. And I'm so grateful that I don't have to be something that I'm not in order for not only him, but also, you know, my boys and my mom and, you know, for them to love me. I have a lot of love in my life and I am incredibly grateful for that. Mm. That's a good thing too. Um, All right. So this is our last question before we have to take a break, but who in your life has had the biggest impact on how you think or how you behave or. Mm. 
I mean, it, that that prize goes to Maureen Mercer. I mean, she is my mother <laughs> and um, she definitely has had the greatest influence on me, um, positive and also I think negative at times too. My mother is the pillar of strength. She is so, so funny, um, you know, can just really make you pee your pants and um it's 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 great and her ability to you know heads down and keep going um is something that i observed and i also the shadow side of that is that i don't know if i was ever able to kind of process um some of the the grief and and i don't know if i was allowed to um, sort of be as sad as I was, um, because you always needed to, you know, go, go forward. So my mom has had an incredible impact on me. Um, and overall it is of course, like in incredibly positive and I wouldn't be who I am without her. Yeah. Is your mother's mother still and she's alive. still alive oh. alive and kicking and going she's she's 78 doesn't even look like it at all um but she and my uncle who's three years older than her um and my aunt are going to cambodia for a month and they are living there um yeah so there you go <laughs> age is just a number yes it is well, we're going to take a little break. The Intern Whisperer is brought to you by Cat5 Studios, who help you create games and videos for your training and marketing needs that are out of this world. Visit Cat5 Studios for more information to learn how Cat5 Studios can help your business. Thank you, Cat5 Studios. And we're back to the second half of our show where we talk about the future of work. What do we think it's going to look like in 2030? That's eight years out. Mm, little, Maybe a little less than eight years. We're getting near the end here, right? Yeah. Um, jobs and industries. What do, you, what do you think that's going to look like in 2030? You know, it's so funny. Imagine you asked that question before the pandemic, right? and I'm sure that the answers are so very different now. Um, of course, I don't think that anybody has a crystal ball. Um, eight years in, on the one hand, feels like really far away. And on the other hand, we know that that's sort of just around the corner. Um, so are there going to be radical shifts? Um, I think that perhaps there's going to be a divergence, right? A split in the companies that continue to operate as if it was in a pre-pandemic world. Some of those companies are large and so they're able to continue on that path. Will they be around in the long term? Who knows? I, I would hope not. Um, other companies that embrace human beings you know, for who we are and how we live and how all the different, you know, cycles of our humanity and that honor that and value that. Um, those are the companies that I think are going to continue forward and more companies like that are going to come onto the scene. Mm -hmm. Do you, how much more automations do you think are going to be out there? Because 
we're seeing more and more of that. And it's being used as predictive behavior and influencing what we're going to buy, what we're going to click on, what we, what we think mm. to a certain level, you know, how, to mm. me, I sit here and I think that's, it's really an invasion of, I think some of our, I don't know, privacies, but yet we click terms, we click the terms. And so then we're buying into it. What do you think about? Yeah. Security, I think privacy? I th yeah, like there's AI, there's sales, there's automation, all of those technologies and tools in and of themselves are not bad, right? But it's like, what are you going to use it for good or evil? Um, also, what are the biases that are uh, being entered into that programming, right? Um, if you only have a certain group of people that are behind the strategy, the thought, the process, the 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 coding of it all, you're going to get something out the other end that is not um, that that doesn't serve that doesn't serve all. So there needs to be a lot more thoughtfulness in the upfront in how we are using these tools and technologies. Mm -hmm. And I think it's incredibly unfortunate that companies like Facebook um, built their billions and their power, I mean, they're the size of a, of a government, um, off of the naivety, naivety of the people that used the platform. Mm -hmm. It was a Trojan horse that we knowingly, you know, spilled our guts on. And Facebook took advantage of it and they benefited from it. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's disgusting. Mm -hmm. And I think that other companies saw what they did and called it brilliant. But it is. Um, I don't even know if I have the words because I'm angry. Um, it it exposes uh, it takes advantage. It. It, it built its business upon the backs of the people and didn't give anything back to us except like, you know, ads that we click on and we buy more stuff that we certainly don't need. So how do you feel about, this is really an interesting conversation about all of the, the movement that Facebook has done. It's moved over there, honestly, to that same space of meta, right? And so they're still collecting data. They're still doing things in there that we, we might not want to have, you know, infringed upon our life. What, what do you think about that? Because I, I don't think that they've stopped anything. He's, you know, Zuckerberg has been in these hearings about, you know, the privacy issues that they all have. You can never get in touch with a live person at Facebook metaverse, no. you know, so I we're lambs that were led to slaughter and we weren't we were told that we were being led to slaughter and we're like, oh, which way do we go? I mean, we turned our lives over to it and we didn't feel like we could escape it because we wanted our you know family and friends to see that we were living a good life. Right. Um, and so we got sucked into it. Um, it's very much like the Stockholm syndrome where you start to love your captor. Mm -hmm. 
It's the same exact thing where Facebook is Stockholm syndrome. Yeah, I agree. There's a certain level though of people that will buy. Now I am hardly ever on Facebook. I don't do Facebook. I don't do Instagram. I, I stick to LinkedIn. That's mm-hmm. the only one I really think has like value to bring. Um, TikTok, I, I'll watch them, but you know, there is something that's very addictive about all of these types mm-hmm. of platforms and they really do understand how to get inside of a person's head mm-hmm. and play on what those um, insecurities or just issues, addictiveness, if you will. Um, it's a hyper focus on a one thing that is constantly changing. And that is something that our brains seek out, right? We don't like boredom. So it our, our brains are designed to scan, be constantly scanning the environment for, you know, danger and opportunity and beauty and all of it. And we get it all in a hyper-focused way. And when that's not there, we crave it. And so we keep bringing it back. Yeah. Um, like and sugar, you know, it's just like sugar. And I don't, all of this said, I don't think that the, that technology is bad. I just think that we have been led down a path and we willingly went there. Um, and it's very difficult for us to extract ourselves because our culture developed around it. And if you aren't a participant in it, it's very much like being outcast from the tribe. Yes. Th- this is our tribe now, people, mm-hmm. you know, and if you're not on it and you're not in it, you're out the tribe mm-hmm. and no one wants to be out the tribe. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I look through the feeds and I go, every other picture when I'm looking at a feed is like the Kardashian's family, you know, the yeah. Kardashian. And I go, do they pay for that? Are they paying to get themselves out there? So it's like that frequency or are they really that popular that people crave it? I'm not sure. Um, you know, I don't spend a lot of time looking at it, trying to figure it out, but it makes me wonder. And then there's just all this noise that's out. Yeah. There. So people try harder and harder and harder to stand out for, you know, whatever the reason is that they can stand out for, but there's a lot of influence. And we know that that type of, um, media and you're in a media company, I'm sure you stay on top of this all the time. It has huge impact because there's been people that have been um, somehow convinced that they should kill themselves. And it was all through social media and bullying and different things. So I sit here and I go, isn't it already a conglomerate that needs to be dismantled? Yes. You know, just like, you know, we, we used to have a time when anybody that became so big and they had the monopoly, they had to dismantle. And I'm going, yeah. When does that stop? Yeah. I think that they have such power and influence now and so much cash um, that it is impossible to dismantle this technological beast. Oh, when the grid goes down, it goes down. Yeah. (laughs) There will be a day it goes down for sure. Yeah. I think that people will also wake up uh, at a certain point and start to 
remove themselves. You're not on it. I'm hardly on it. And I took myself completely off. And then I thought that, well, I'm in the media business and, you know, and so I participate in like a challenge with somebody who has their group on Facebook. Um, But I really, I, I really um, don't want to be playing in that sandbox at all. Mm. Which leads us to the next question. What book or movie looks like 2030 to you? The Handmaid's Tale. Yeah, I've seen, I watched the first season. I didn't watch, you know, any of the other, I don't even know if it's still playing. I don't have a TV and I, you know, will watch things and it's usually documentaries that I choose to watch. So why Handmaiden's Tale? Because that is, there's a lot going on in that one. I think it's possible. Yeah, I, I think that it's the haves and have nots, right? It's that age old story. And anybody that sort of um, is a threat to the state or the state of the powers that be are need to be held down and held back. Um, and that's what it's all about. And in this case, it's, you know, the, the women and the women are, are, completely held back and not educated and uh, meant to be only subservient to the the powerful. And um, the government is what is in control. Um, and people do horrific things to other people when they step out of line. Mm-hmm. Um, and you see this playing out in our country, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. And, you know, all the rights that have been taken away from women when it comes to their right to choose, um, you know, we're, we're, we're headed in the wrong direction, people. So and, yeah. what do you what do you think is uh, 2030 going to look like for remote, blended, hybrid, whatever? I feel like there's going to be a move where people are craving to be around each other again. Sure. Instead of being on a phone or some device, and they're going to want to have human connection, human, real connection and being together in groups and working together, Mm -hmm. probably more flexible schedules where, you know, you can kind of make your own hours and, you know, required to be maybe there on site three days out of, you know, five, whatever. But what do you think it's going to look like? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's definitely has to change. Um, although some of these larger companies, older companies, um, are going to require workers to be there in person. And so that is going to be up to the workers, whether they want to do that or not. Um, I live in, you know, the suburbs of New York city and getting into New York city and going through Penn station is, is a disgusting, um, experience and a nightmare. Um, I know that I don't want to be commuting into New York City and going and sitting in an office. And especially if the majority of my coworkers are, you know, remote working somewhere else, why in the world would I go to an office to sit there and be on a computer? Um, You know, it just doesn't make any sense at all. So I think that hopefully by 2030, eight years from now, or seven and a half, um, I hope that we see the 
good of what can work. And we kind of take all of the, the, the things that are working um, and get rid of the things that, that didn't work. I completely agree with you. We need human interaction, right? We are a social uh, species. And so we need to be together. But do we need to be forced together in some building that doesn't have any fresh airflow uh, for eight hours a day stuck in a cubicle where we can't move? No. So maybe the work environment needs to change so that it's more enticing um, and flexible and that there's there's maybe more like a satellite scenario uh, versus this big, you know, corporate, you know, building that you need to go to in order to be productive, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which is false. It's a fallacy. Yeah. I think that people get together uh, because they want the, the companionship. They want to be able to have that connection. Um, I think that there is a certain amount of you know, better productivity when we're together because it can be more spontaneous than being in these type of calls. So if we're going to replicate it, they're going to have to make something that's truly a virtual reality experience that allows people to get together and it feels real. Hey, there's somebody coming in. (laughs) (laughs) That's okay. Um, So the other question I want to be able to ask you is, and I'm keeping an eye on the time, so we are really getting ready to wrap up here. What is the best mentoring advice that you want to share with our listeners? So I think that it sort of plays on everything that we've been talking about, but I really love the the advice to, and there's so many different ways to say it, but you know, run your own race. Mm-hmm. Right. Like drive your own bus. Stop getting on people's buses that are going somewhere where you don't want to be going. I think the more that we know who we are and what makes us happy and what our definition of success is, the better that we can navigate our lives, our careers, our businesses. Mm-hmm. So focus more on the inner work and setting up a path for success for you, mm-hmm. not what society says that your path for success should be. Yeah. About realizing that everything that we do, there's always a choice. Yeah. And each of these choices will have positive or negative consequences that goes with it. So we need to be definitely dialed into our lives. Mm-hmm. Okay. So how can our listeners find you? I know that I'm pulling up the sheleadsmedia.com website and your LinkedIn, but what else do you want us? How can we reach you? Find me on Facebook. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I was going to ask. Was gonna- uh, no, no, no. Do not find me on Facebook. Um, <laughs> yes. So my, my website, um, I do uh, post on Instagram, especially my podcast episodes. Um, everything is sort of under the She Leads Media um, moniker. 
Uh, best place is the sheleadsmedia.com website and uh, you can find a contact form if you want to reach out to me. Um, we also do have a free community on an incredible platform called Mighty Networks. I do too. Yeah. Mighty Networks is uh, really a special place where they don't do anything to take information from you that you don't want to give. Um, and so my community is completely free and it was developed as a place for women to uh, interact with and network with one another between conferences. Um, so you can find a, a link to the community on the, the uh, website. All right. Well, that's awesome. I love that. And then what is the name of your podcast? So my podcast is called Sugar Coated, and it is uh, for women entrepreneurs and leaders. Um, and the conversations that I have with women are uh, designed to be, you know, very open and genuine and not sugar coated because we've been sugar coating things for way too long. So it's stripped down and it's in the raw form. That's right. <laughs> I, love it. I love it. Well, I want to tell you, thank you so much for being a guest on the show. I have thoroughly enjoyed this time. I look forward to having you come back and sharing some updates and just continuing this relationship. Well, Isabella, thank you so much. This was so much fun. And I, I loved being your guest. And I can't wait to continue to just be in company with you. Feelings mutual. You take care. Thank you. Thank you to our sponsor, Cat5 Studios, and thank you to our production team, Ayana Sanders, and our video interns, Josue Gonzalez, Dina Burks, Lester Eccles, Eccles, and Gio Vargas. Our music is by Sophie Lloyd. If you would like to have your inclusion tip of the week shared on our show, record it, send us that audio file to info at e4c.tech, and we will send you some Intern Pursuit Green uh, intern pursuit game green screens for your next video conference call be sure to visit employers for change that is the company that brings this whole podcast to you to learn how you can create real diversity and inclusion cultures while scaling your people for the future that is from intern to senior leader leader thank you so much and we look forward to seeing your comments <laughs>